to say it or should I say it? Just say it. Play Freebird! <laughs> Freebird! <laughs> You know, uh, Leonard Skinner, Freebird, as we kick things off, episode 55 of the Brian Oak Show. That is Sean Bernard, as always, my business partner, my stalwart ally, producer extraordinaire. And this past week, I was involved in a contest on a popular local sports station where me, Gary Loris of the Jayhawks, uh, the common man, Dan Cole, it was on his show, and, oh, super overseer uh greg swedberg oh yeah the four of us drafted 16 songs each and to do a bracket since there's no sports right now there's still bracketologists out there that are very hungry for the brackets and um this one was the greatest song intros of all time and i picked that one because you know i i know it's it's very po- very popular, especially for people in our age group, to be like, oh, Hotel California sucks. Oh, Stairway to Heaven. Oh, Freebird. There's a reason these are the most popular songs of all time, and that reason is they're some of the greatest songs of all time. Captures the feeling and the moment. I mean, I remember exactly that particular era when I heard that song. And that's what music does, too. But that one, that song in particular just pulls me directly back. We lived on 54th and Portland mm-hmm. uh, in South Minneapolis. And I remember that album and having that album and playing it over and over and over again. Well, it, it is. I think it still holds the record, at least. And this might be apocryphal, but it's very close as the most requested song in FM radio history because it came sort of at the zenith of FM radio. And and I mean, there's a reason why at every concert you're at, even if it is a classical quartet at some point some drunken jackass is going to scream <laughs> play Freebird." who's there by himself which is okay by the way because i've gone to many shows myself same but he's always alone right there's always that guy's just alone kind of not even he's just looking down at the ground and he's like play Freebird, free man well i gotta admit Freebird on uh you know like a two cello two violin quartet actually sounds kind of badass <laughs> uh, it is the brian oak show episode 55 here in the smart start mn studio located in the heart of south Minneapolis. And today we've got a very special guest. We are going to be joined by, well, these days she goes by Holy Hannah. She has rebranded. She's got a debut full length out that came out late last year. And you might know her better as Hannah Vanderhoff, who has been playing around the Twin Cities for years and years. She, and we'll talk to her about this because I have no idea why. Do you know where she's quarantining right now, Sean? I think you told me. Mexico. Ah, Mexico. Me, Southeast Minneapolis. (laughs) Holy Hannah. Mexico. So we'll talk you know. more about that in just a minute. Yeah, we'll talk to her just ahead. Hopefully our international connection will work. We're still fingers crossed on this, right? Yeah, I mean, it should. Okay. But we'll see. Okay. If not, it's going to be a real short episode of the podcast. About eight minutes. Okay. <laughs> Which a lot of people are probably like, that's cool. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. With I'm that good. One. <laughs> uh, hey, one other thing that we have to do before we talk to Hannah is um, one of the pioneers of rock history one of the actual foundational building blocks upon which the church of rock was built passed away uh and he had a good run made it well into his 80s um, but little richard died over the weekend or at least that's when it was reported and little richard now i know when you go back and listen to sort of that 
crazy piano driven rock and roll that he sort of fomented back in the late 50s. It sounds a little dated. But if you put it into context of what was happening at the time, you know, he took this strong gospel tradition, which is really where he came from. He took this strong gospel tradition and merged it with New Orleans R&B and jump blues and then brought a level of theatricality to music. You know, there was vaudeville and there was big band and there were some absolutely colorful characters. Little Richard, John Waters, there was just a great article the other day where he was interviewed and John Waters says, Little Richard was the first punk rocker. He was the first everything. And while I'm not going to say he's single-handedly responsible for rock and roll happening, without him, it's not what it is today. Certainly from a performance aspect, he brought that flamboyancy and that incredible energy, uh, that stage presence that I, I remember, you know, watching his, you know, some of the early TV shows that were obviously recorded that when I saw them, but, but I was blown away at his performance and it, you had a big, big ass smile on your face when you watched him perform because it was so energetic and he just, he just didn't care. He just didn't seem to care that I might be a little judged, you know, a, yeah. I'm African American during this time. B, he's, he was gay, right? He was, yeah. but he fought yeah. with that his entire life okay. because, you know, in the 50s, most stations, most radio stations still aren't playing what they called race records at that no, point. No. So his music is being covered by the likes of Pat Boone, right? I mean, just oh, the most yeah. watered down, milk toast version you can imagine. But Pat Boone was making more money off Little Richard than Little Richard was making off Little Richard. Oh, and he's sad. Little Richard. So, no, but I mean, so he was gay. He was very flamboyant. The, the clothes... The six inch plus high pompadour. Oh, yeah. Loved it. Eye makeup. That wasn't a thing that happened no, back no, then. No, it wasn't. And then, you know, foot up on the piano. I mean, whether we're talking Pat Boone or Jerry Lee Lewis or whoever we're talking about, you know, whether we go move fast forward years into the future, Prince. Prince is partially Prince because Little Richard was oh, Little Richard. Absolutely. I mean, Jimi Hendrix also had an equal influence on yeah. him, which why, interestingly, Jimi Hendrix played in Little Richard's band for a couple of years. I did not know that. He did, in fact, before he went off on his own. And so I know that it sounds like old men sitting around talking about the good old days. Little Richard was really sort of done being influential by the time I was born. He really only did it for a few years in the late 50s and early 60s and then went back to the church. But then the Beatles were performing all Chuck Berry and Little Richard and they they sort of regenerated and reminded everybody just how important this music was, how important that trans transition from R&B and jump blues to rock and roll, it, it changed everything. And the Beatles were so popular, they basically willed Little Richard out of retirement. And he went and started doing the circuit again in the mid-60s, on through the 70s, and then on and off again throughout his life. He would go back to the church. He would go back to gospel music. And he also went through a pretty troubled heavy cocaine time yeah. in the 80s, as but as many artists yeah. did. But this was a conflicted guy. This is a guy torn between two worlds, rock and roll and the Lord, right? Also trying to, to wrestle with his sexual identity because you're a deeply spiritual church guy. And oh, yeah. not only were you not allowed to be black in the 50s, you certainly weren't allowed to be gay and black. Oh, unbelievable. Didn't the Beatles, when they... When they went over to Germany for that two years, weren't they playing a lot of Little Richard and Chuck Berry? Chuck and- Berry is, I mean, Chuck Berry is probably more responsible for the Beatles' early success yeah. than any other artist, but there's no question. John Lennon said that uh, Little Richard is probably the most important influence on his entire mm-hmm. life musically. So, you know, I know that people are raving a lot about this one, and just do this. You know, go back and listen to Good Golly Miss Molly and listen to the song we're about to play. You do not have to love the music of Little Richard, but to not recognize that without its existence, this isn't the world we live in. The, the nature of the rock and roll you listen to never existed when you were growing up.
Again, it sounds dated, but for me, the importance of Little Richard is strictly context. And we talk about this all the time, right? I mean, there are things that happened hundreds of years ago that don't sound revolutionary at all, but you have to put them in context. When Little Richard, in the mid to late 50s, began to become a force in music, again, he was locked out of many radio stations, but there were so many musicians who fell in love with him, right? I mean, like, it just, it, it, there was nothing like it. There was nothing like it. Mick Jagger, of all people, I think we agree that this is not an outrageous statement, widely regarded as one of the most flamboyant and successful frontmen of all time. Yeah. They toured. The Rolling Stones early on toured with Little Richard, and he said, I stood out there every night and studied every second of what he did. And while they're not the same thing, that flamboyancy, that it takes something to be that person. And at the time... He was peerless. Little Richard was unprecedented. He changed the nature of rock and roll. That's why John Waters called him the first punk rocker ever, because he didn't give a shit about the system. He's like, I'm going to do exactly what I want to do, and I'm going to blow your little minds. And that's, in fact, exactly what he did. So rest in peace, Little Richard. Massive courage, just like a Jackie Robinson. I just read an article yep. today about a, a, I didn't even know this until today, but a black uh, female Baseball player. She played in the Negro Leagues. I saw, um, I saw your post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I read I it. Was it was like, incredible. And some jackass that I know had to post something about how she looked like a guy. And and, and I deleted the post because yeah. I'm like, you know, jackass, the courage that it would take 
during that era to step up and say, I'm good enough to go and do this, and I'm going to take the chance no matter what anybody says to me. Well, after integration of the leagues happened, you know, another one of your yes. friends posted, I saw that, like, so they started to lose some of their best players because yes. the white leagues were begrudgingly like, well, I guess we can have black people. <laughs> uh, but, they, but I mean, but baseball also has always had a tradition of sort of, and I'm not saying that having her on the team was a stunt because I saw that she was very successful. Oh, I know. She was yeah, good yeah, at what I she did, it. but it is sort of a sensation, right? Like you have to do what you can to hang on to your audience, but that's incredible. Dude, it's, I feel like black women are probably more subjugated than almost any other social segment today still, let alone back in the 60s. I just, and again, whether it's Little Richard or her or whomever, to have that courage to be one of the first is not easy. No. And we can't look at what's happening nowadays to say, well, um, okay, that's great. It's like, no, that was, that was... I mean, foundational, the, the, the foundational, and they were ridiculed. And if you've seen the, the Jackie, Jackie Robinson movie, just being called the N word about a million times a day while you're trying to, you know, take an at bat probably isn't a real picnic you know? <laughs> to say the very least. Hey, before we talk to today's guest. Hannah Vonderhoff, a.k.a. Holy Hannah, uh, and her debut album, and what it's like being quarantined in Mexico, which I bet is they're probably worse places to be quarantined. Um, let's go ahead and thank our primary studio sponsor, which would be Smart Start MN. They are Minnesota's... Uh, what are they? The original Ignition Interlock Company. And that means that if you or someone you know or a friend of a friend or, you know, that the classic asking for a friend um, <laughs> should have a DUI, you are going to have to jump through a lot of hoops. You are going to have your license taken away. You are going to have to pay a lot of money. You are not going to be driving for a while, but it turns out there are ways, vectors back to market, or at least this vector back to market, where essentially they have... Uh, breathalyzer installed in your vehicle and you so long as you blow completely clean are allowed to drive you can get back to being who you are and getting your life back on track again i hope you never have a dui but should you this is one of the smartest and frankly least expensive parts of that recovery process that you can do to get your life back on track it's kind of amazing that this is even possible for you to be able to do but somebody had courage, actually two people had courage to go to the state legislature and say, we think that these are human beings who made a mistake, so they should be able to drive. Now, the technicality is they're going to have to blow into this little device that we've invented. Uh, but thanks to Ed and Mike and Smart Start MN, you can get to work and take your kids to daycare and everything else. Go to smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show. Uh, if you click on that, you'll actually get 20% off the installation of the ignition interlock system. Which, again, is, they they don't like us to talk about the price, but it is, when I asked them what the price was, stunningly inexpensive. It, it, I was like, well, why wouldn't you do that? That's probably one twentieth of the average person's monthly, you know, salary. Exactly. Like, why are you, why would you not do this? And spend all the money on Ubers and cabs and everything else. Yeah. What do you say? Should we try to get a hold of Hannah in Mexico? I think we should. So I sent you on your email her link because it's not it that that Hannah Bond. And now it is time to introduce today's featured guest, episode fifty-five of the Brian Oak Show from the Smart Start MN Studio, located in South Minneapolis, the heart of South Minneapolis. A Minnesota musician who somehow is holed up in. 
Mexico. Um, she has been playing around town for years and years, and you may know her as Hannah Vonderhoff, but these days she goes by Holy Hannah, and last fall reduced her, or reduced, <laughs> released her self-titled debut, Holy Hannah, which must have been very exciting, and we're going to talk all about that record, we're going to talk about her life and her career, but first I would just like to say a warm hello to Hannah. Hannah, how are you? Hi, Thank you so much for having me, Brian. Glad to have you. Now, you you were in Mexico, and I want to talk about your past. I want to talk about your pathway through music. I want to talk about the new record. I want to talk about how the first time I ever saw your face, you were cooking naked, naked in the kitchen on an online uh, video. Um, <laughs> but I also want to talk about um, what you're doing in Mexico. How do you find yourself in Mexico right now? Yeah, well... Uh... Funnily enough, I was down here for yoga teacher training, and as the this was back in February, and as the training was coming to a close, I got this really intense gut feeling like don't you're, don't go back, stay. And so I didn't take my flight, and lo and behold, the world goes mad. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, you know, I don't have a job back in Minnesota, and I don't have a job here, but the few dollars that I do have go a lot farther here. And so I'm just going to ride this out. And um, so far, that's proven to be a total blessing. And um, and I'm really, really grateful that I went with my intuition on this one. Well done. I mean, are you like, have you had like psychic experience in your life before? Like, I mean, or was this like, I, I know gut feelings and I often will follow them because I find them to be correct more often than they're wrong. But I don't really feel myself to have like a sixth sense. I mean, have you had experiences like that before? We're like, oh, I can't get on this plane. Um, to an extent, yes, I have. But this, I think, would hands down be the most significant to date. <laughs> well, so uh, can I ask, where are you now? Again, if you're going to be quarantined or sheltering in place, I can think of far worse places than Mexico. I mean, it's a beautiful day right now in Minnesota, mid 50s, kind of that crisp, clean, non-humid air, not one cloud in the oh. sky, lots of sunshine, everything's blooming. So it's lovely here. But I'll bet that Mexico is still lovelier. Can I ask where you are? Because I've, ma- I've gone to Mexico a good number of times. Are you, you over on the Pacific? side you're on the Yucatan you're in the in the Gulf you're somewhere <laughs> mid mid country I'm over on the Pacific side I'm about 45 minutes north of Puerto Vallarta on the coast and um, it's this little little surfer town um, and I'm about two blocks from the ocean which is such a mm. godsend but the, the but the you know the town is closed to any outsiders coming in and so far we don't have any reported cases here so um so everybody's you know keeping their their um they're using discretion and um social distancing and, and being careful um the beach is technically closed um but you know some of us rebels kind of sneak down <laughs> well, as long as there, it's not, as, as long as it's uh, not like a spring break situation you know what no a, a, it's a, a not quick, a quick, at a all. quick especially if the town is closed down a quick jaunt down to the ocean and a jump in the ocean and then maybe just laying in the sun for i don't know how's your tan is your tan pretty good right now 
It's uh, it's pretty good <laughs> for a for a, a redhead ginger lady. I'd say I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> oh, Hannah Vanderhoff, better known these days as Holy Hannah after the rebranding. Um, I want to talk about the new record, but first we're going to go back to one of your earlier singles. But before we do that, I want to know more about you because I still call you a Minnesota musician. Is that still a fair description? Yes, I'm definitely. I, this is where I hail from, and uh, technically my address is still there, so right. I am a Minnesota musician. Okay, good. Well, so where did you grow up? How did and, and in that growing up, I mean, was it sort of the standard, I took choir, I took an instrument, I had a musical family approach, or how does, first of all, where are you from? Part two of that question is, how does music become a part of who Hannah is? Well, I am from Camden neighborhood, which is on the north side of the city, um, like 42nd and Lindale across from Weber Parkway. And music has definitely just always been in my blood. I mm-hmm. mean, I my family is are huge music fanatics. They would have, I mean, my mom would put on the stereo as soon as she got up in the morning and music is playing in the household until we all go to bed at night. Everybody sings. My dad plays guitar. My brothers play guitar. My sister dabbles in it. Um, So I was always surrounded by music, but it wasn't until I took a personal interest and my dad saw me like picking up his guitar and and trying to teach myself uh, that he one day got a bonus at work and he's like, yeah, I'm surprised me with a guitar of my own. And that was probably about the age of like 13 or so. And I, I taught myself how to play. Um, So it was uh, definitely took taking some initiative uh, on my part, but how many people get gifted a, a, entire guitar that they get to dedicate to the learning process so i'm was i've always been really grateful um for the encouragement in that regard yeah um yeah just i mean growing so that kind of musical encouragement is wonderful because there are a lot of people who are like well go ahead and play your guitar but also go get your accounting degree right like i mean you're like your parents want the best for you they want they want you to take a responsible course but clearly the love of music was active in your household now i have to imagine Given where you've gotten to at this stage in your career, your very first guitar was not a Gretsch semi-hollow body. No, it was not. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, an acoustic, I'm assuming it was acoustic guitar, but a, a, yeah. a great way to learn. Yes, I think it's an excellent way to learn, especially because you're developing your hand and finger strength. Mm-hmm. And um, for anybody learning guitar, I don't have to tell anybody that, that it requires a lot of patience and willingness to sound not good for, <laughs> for a while <laughs> until things start kind of start to click and you get the muscle memory going. And but that's the thing is if if you just if you stick with it and if you're like really committed to the outcome over time, as with anything, you get better. So it's it's I'd say. Out the gate, it requires more mental tenacity than anything else. Yeah, well, I think, and I'm trying to remember the exact quote. Of course, I can't because my sleep patterns are so wildly uneven that um, I'll I'll never, ever remember it. But Dave Grohl had some great quote about, you know, get together with your friends. And, you know, and this, I think, this applies to the individual as well, sitting in their bedroom. You know, get together with your friends and play in the garage, and you are going to suck. And you are going to suck for a long, long time. But, <laughs> yeah. but then one day, you start to suck 
talk a lot less. And then one day you're like, oh, man, this is the only thing I ever wanted to do. And it doesn't pan out for everybody, obviously, but it has panned out for you. You have gotten up to the point where you've got your debut full-length self-titled release out. It came out last October. And before we talk about that, though, I still want to talk about, so you go from playing. As a teenager, you get a guitar. You start playing. I imagine, just like the rest of us, even as we're pursuing our dreams, we're doing other part-time jobs or full-time jobs. When when was your first proper gig, and how nervous were you? Oh, my goodness. I think my first proper gig, um, I was like... Be, I was beyond myself with with nerves and um, and just so much rehearsal going into it. But then I also have like pretty severe ADD, and so like the completion of anything really stresses me out. So then it's like that grappling with I need uh, like over rehearsal versus I'm so nervous about it I can't even rehearse. Uh-huh. And then the and then the gig got canceled. Oh what? <laughs> it was this. Yeah, it was this. Um, it was this, uh, well, for the Uptown Art Fair, um, this would have been like 13, maybe almost 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there, where I was scheduled to perform, I guess the permits weren't in place um, completely, and so then they shut down the um, our specific event. Um, Seriously. But definitely go- getting over nerves has been a process. You know, I being so music adjacent, having seen probably more than a thousand shows in my life, just because A, I loved music when I was young, and then professional hazard of being a radio DJ for 25 years, one of my recurring nightmares is all of a sudden I'm getting waved up on stage by the band and I can't say no, (laughs) and I I don't know I don't know a single chord on the guitar, I know nothing, and and they're not asking me to sing, they're asking me to play an instrument, and (laughs) and so that to me that's my anxiety dream, like that is oh no, it's not awesome at all because. For me, it is. Now, when you wake up from that dream, the level of relief is oh, yeah. overwhelming. Oh, my God. Because, because, and so I can only imagine for a young musician what that must feel like, even if you've practiced your songs, even if you're ready, and if you have ADHD, I mean, the level of anxiety must be crippling. So now you start to do gigs, you're moving along, and you are, you know, I mean, I've now seen you play. I've now heard your music all the way through, and it's really good. You do kind of a... I, I hate the fact that we have to put limiters and descriptors on it, but I'm trying to give people some context if they have not listened to the music of Hannah Vanderhoff yeah. or, or Holy Hannah. I mean, there's a classic rock element to it. There's a classic singer-songwriter element to it. I think that you divide those lines. The tone of your guitar and the tone of your voice, I will say this, are perfectly, perfectly matched. Wow. D- don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> That's great news. <laughs> well, I just, I, I mean, especially because I mean, tone is such an elusive, specifically with guitar. I mean, how you sing, kind of how you sing. And right. I suppose, depending on how much you practice, how many cigarettes you smoke, um, <laughs> which has always been a, a wrestle for me, um, it can change over time. I mean, look at Joni Mitchell. Her voice dropped, what, an entire octave mm-hmm. uh, in the in the course of her career. But with, with guitar tone, man, you won't hear a single guitar player who doesn't grapple with dialing in a tone that's really satisfactory. And that is, for me, will always be something I'm chasing after. So it's super cool to hear that you think 
For the record, it's a good match. <laughs> well, I, and I, I do think it's a good match. Now, you don't get to pick what you love, and everyone likes different things. And I also know, right. you know, I'm going to, before we hear this first song of yours, uh, one of your earliest songs, if not your earliest song that you recorded, um, I want to tell you in, in regards to hunting that elusive tone you're talking about, one of the oh. greatest moments of my interviewing career uh, in doing radio. And this is about you. It's not about me, but it's also about Mark Knopfler. Mark Knopfler, Dire Straits, I love so, so very much. So I had the good fortune of interviewing him once over the phone, not in person. And I asked him, you know, after decades of success, you've topped the charts in dozens of countries. You've literally toured the world numerous times. You've sold millions upon millions of records. You've basically achieved what everyone sets out to achieve when they're a musician. And you've written brilliant songs I mean, what still motivates you? Why do you want to keep doing this? And what he said to me is, Brian, one of these days I'd like to really sit down and learn how to play this guitar. <laughs> and it, it blew my mind it, it, because I didn't feel like he was being insincere or, or ironic. I felt like he understood just what you're saying. The hunt is never ending. You'll never, ever get to that perfect place. You can keep learning more. You can broaden your arsenal of, you know, uh, sonic elements, but you're never, ever, ever going to grab the Holy Grail. But the hunt, the search, the pursuance mm. is still vitally important, which is kind of what I just heard you say right there. Hey, we're going to hear a song by you right now called time machine tell me about this song time machine i wrote this actually after my first visit to the very town that i'm in right now and it is um rather interesting i should say at the very least remarkable that it was this song that helped me to decide to not take the flight back <laughs> to the states wow because i'm like because it's all about it's it's all about regret now in this particular situation it was relative to to uh, uh to romance but i think the principle of it um being uh, um how can i say i don't think any therapist or or mental health practitioner would recommend like really dwelling in regret it can be super toxic but at the very least we can use it as a way to frame future decisions and so um so i i come back to that a lot in the future, like if, if I'm projecting my future self, if I'm making a decision in the moment, will my future self regret doing or not doing this? And so, um, so I just, uh, it's, it's kind of a, um, a two-sided coin having a song that both talks about, um, talks about regret in a in a way that is kind of dwelling and recreating the moment but it, at the time it just um it seemed really apropos and and now um it's the 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 first single that i ever put out and there is a music video uh that we came back to mexico to shoot um after putting some flights on credit cards and, <laughs> and just making it happen um but I, uh, if you haven't had a chance to check out the music video, I definitely recommend it. Um, but uh, I think people will definitely identify with uh, the the feelings that are conjured up in in this this tune. Later on, when I post the link to the podcast, once we publish later on today, I will also include the link to the video for this particular track. Back when we knew her as Hannah Vonderhoff, which I think her friends and family still know her as, as opposed to Holy Hannah these days professionally. Very first single ever. This is Time Machine on The Brian Oak Show. Wish I would have stayed. 
time machine, Hannah Vanderhoff, perhaps better known these days as Holy Hannah. And we're going to talk about her latest full-length release, debut, self-titled. It's very exciting stuff. And um, it uh, it rocks a little harder than that song. I'm going to be honest. At least in spots, it rocks a little harder than that song. And I like it quite a bit. Uh, this is The Brian Oak Show, episode 55. Before we move forward and catch up with Hannah a little bit more, we need to thank Busters on 28th. Busters on 28th is a local, man, I hate the term gastropub. I really do do but they they really do high-end food they make their own potato chips in-house which sounds to some people silly like why would i eat potato chips eat what take two of these potato <laughs> chips and you talk about lays saying i bet you can't eat just one that's because they put these secret communist chemicals on top of them so that you can't stop eating them um House-made potato chips, and they also do uh, beer and wine now for their roadside pickup. They're three blocks from my house. Look, here's the deal. The number of restaurants that have been announced in the Twin Cities that are closed for good now. Hannah, did you hear that um, Muddy Waters is closed forever? I did. I'm so... This is my favorite, my favorite, favorite, favorite hangout. Mine too. (laughs) And I I don't, you know, get out very much, so when I would go, that would be where... I would treat myself to something, and it was like the cheers. Like, I knew yes. I could reliably run into somebody oh, man. who I, I knew I, and loved there. Every time I go in there, well, I mean, I've gotten to know some of the bartenders and the owners very, very well between Dark Horse and that place, but they're gone forever, and that was a heartbreaker, and so I'm mm-hmm. trying to avoid the same thing with Busters. Like, that's three blocks from my house, on the other, and, and we're hearing about new ones every day. We've got to support our local businesses, and... Well, the best way to do that is to call them and order food and beer and or wine. Do curbside pickup. They're doing the best practices thing over there at Busters at 28th. And we're going to continue to draw from the names of our Patreon customers once every couple weeks and give away a $50 gift card so that you can go and support them. But even if you don't get the gift card, Busters at 28th, they support this show. They have not pulled out even during these... Oh, man. Every damn commercial on television right now has got that plaintive piano and says... In these uncertain times, in these <laughs> trying times, and I'm, I'm getting a little exhausted, but it yes. is true. And for small businesses and the people who work at those small businesses, none of these people operate on high margins. We need to make sure there are still fun places to go, that our neighborhoods still feel like neighborhoods on the far side of this. Busters and 28th.com. Take a look at their menu. You will be startled and realize, oh, they have craft beer and high-end wine that I could walk away with with my meal. Don't mind if I do. Busters on 28th.com. And also, uh, my guy here, Sean Bernard, he is also a sponsor of the show. He's a realtor. He sells realty. He is a realtor for uh, the 50th in France location of Edina Realty. Yeah, I mean, I serve the whole metro area and beyond. Um, but yeah, get, just give me a call or a text if you're considering buying or selling 612 859 2594. Don't forget, a portion of every sale goes to the Warming House on 40th and Bryant. That is in the basement of Farmstead Bike Shop, about a 45 to 50 seat venue. They are a nonprofit. Yeah, they're affected by what's going on right now, so they're not open. But I'm still doing the donations to them, and every customer gets a one-year membership for two to this great nonprofit local music venue. You know, and it could be a long time still um, that 
we get to sit in small locations that are enclosed together. And, you know, even today I was seeing Dr. Fauci talk about a possible second wave in the fall. Um, I mean, it, it could be a minute, which sucks for both ardent music fans like Sean and myself, yes. but also for the artists who provide that music, not only because it's their lifeblood, but because it is their their spiritual blood and it, like, like holy hannah who joined us right now hannah you're in mexico i imagine though if there was a way to take the sting out of quarantine being quarantined in mexico is the way to do it yeah i again i'm just counting my lucky stars here i i'm sure when people hear that i am stuck in mexico for this or quote unquote stuck that they're like <laughs> oh come on lady are you kidding me <laughs> So I've been trying to be really sensitive to that and not like being flagrant about like, oh, look at me, because because this is a really, really, really scary time for so many people. Um, and I'm not excluding myself from that. Um, but you know, relatively speaking, I, I am very blessed to be in a beautiful place um i believe the world is going crazy i believe in positivity and so i am actually very happy for you well yes i'm more than a little jelly because man (laughs) if there was some place to be locked down but also i'm glad that you're safe because you're in a town where they're not letting outsiders in they want to keep it safe they want to keep it locked down because i don't believe we're past the peak of this yet either internationally or here in america where apparently there's a mad rush to reopen everything even with precautions i feel like it's reckless i feel like it's premature and i know trust me i hate it i getting away to this our studio here the smart start mn studio in south minneapolis just being sean and Trust me, we are slathered head to toe in all that disinfectant. But I mean, like mm. just just having some sort of ritual, some sort of routine to hang your hat on does a lot to keep you sane. So no, everybody's upside down, but I'm going to be honest with you, Hannah. I'm actually very happy for you, and I hope that you make the most of it and enjoy it, and it adds perspective. Now, for people who are not familiar with Hannah Vanderhoff, which is hard to imagine, but if they are not, you were the front person of the band Sex Cat back in the earlier part of this past decade. (laughs) Um, You also, though... We're backup singer for Caroline Smith, along with the likes of Lizzo and Ashley DuBose. You have been performing regularly for more than a decade, and you have been your own entity for a long time as well. Now rebranding to Holy Hannah, last year you put together, recorded, mixed, mastered, and released your debut self-titled solo album, Holy Hannah. I mean, that's got to be both a the the a really difficult artistic endeavor but also outrageously gratifying and you use some crowdfunding to get it off the ground i mean how do you even start a process of like all right i'm gonna make a whole record (laughs) it's it's so mind-blowing to even process actually brian because for the longest time I knew I wanted to make a record, but I was so apprehensive about it. And again, part of it is that like mental hang up with this like ADD that I have, but it just projects, a project as huge as your debut album feels like a mountain. And I refer to it as it had been my fear mountain, like this thing towering over me that I shriveled in fear 
Like, oh, how am I? How am I even supposed to do that? I've never done it before. Can I ask you how? one quick question? Can I ask you a question? What what part? Yeah. What part inspired the most fear? I mean, I know that like there's all these details to take care of. First of all, you've got to write great material. Second of all, you've got to find the right people. Then you have to play right. Then it has to be mastered properly. Everything else. What part? You, so you refer to it as fear mountain. Was it just sort of an all-consuming fear, or were there were certain aspects that you found the most challenging and the most daunting, and the parts that maybe made you wait longer than you wanted to to do it it was between the the entire project itself knowing that there are so many different pieces that need to be taken care of in order to reach the point of completion um between uh choosing the songs um being prepared with my band to go into the studio um then, um, you know, contemplating whether or not I work, want to work with a producer, how do I, how do I possibly find somebody that I can entrust the, the fleshing out of these creative skeletons, um, in a way that's going to really ring true to what it is I'm trying to get across without even knowing what I want to get across. Like mm-hmm. it's the, it, it's, it's like this giant enigma is how it felt to me. And so, it was actually after doing some traveling, um, I went to Peru and had a, a really eye-opening experience and came back with this realization like, wow, I I have a mission and it's to make this record. And so then it became a, a, a process of realizing that I needed to be my own producer uh, in order for me to be 100% satisfied with the outcome because nobody else can know what it is that I would um, creatively be fulfilled by. Now, but that being being said, like, I mean, did you have experience with producing or was that also yet another steep part of the slope that you had to conquer? That was a deep, steep, steep part of the slope. I have never produced anything before. Okay. (laughs) I know I have. I have a critical opinion and I know what I like and what I don't like. And that's about all I had in my, in my pocket to, to use going into this and that, and really harnessing intuition um, and, and being willing to, to not let things go unsaid, uh, making sure I really stayed on top of my, my gut feelings on things. So if it was like, no, something's not quite right. Instead of, you know, being the more passive uh, uh, Minnesotan approach of like, oh, you know, I don't want to be annoying about this or I want, I'll just let that one slide. Like, no, really being like um, a boss about the decision-making process as we, as we went along. And, um, and it it felt really appropriate for my debut um, to be the one to, to produce my own record. That's not to say I don't want to work with producers in the future. And actually there was a a couple of people, um, but one in particular who I actually had lined up to make this debut album with me, um, who I respect tremendously. Um, but it just seemed like it wasn't right that this needed to be really, uh, a hundred percent my vision. And, uh, and I'm in hindsight, I'm so glad that that's the approach that I took because I found out in the undertaking that it all informs itself. 
the songs tell you what they need. And if you are working with your own uh, creative knowing um, and you have persistence and are able to stick with, I mean, it was a two year process. So, wow. I, I found out in the end that it's something I really love doing and maybe I have, you know, maybe somewhere in my future, I will be a producer for other people, but, um, uh, wow, what a rewarding experience. What I found in my professional career is that every time I was certain when I was asked to do something, I knew I could not do, I said yes. And it was informative and maybe stronger, and smarter and better. So good for you, Hannah. Well done. Hey, we have to kind of begin to wrap things up here. So before we go, I want to make sure that we thank AudioQuip, who without we could not have found a way to communicate with Hannah while she's quarantined in Mexico. But <laughs> oh, we also... it sounds really, really crappy, whereas it sounds really good. Yeah, no, it sounds really good. And we also have high-end equipment here. But also, Hannah, what I want people to know is where is the best place to find you online if people want to purchase your music if people want to preview your music if people want to look at that badass cover of your album with you holding that gretch <laughs> i'm telling you that is that is that is rock and roll nasty and i mean that is a high high compliment that is that looks good where do people go to find out more about holy hannah right on well shout out to jeff capel for taking that photo Ooh, I, it's a good one really thanks um so the most supportive uh, means would be on Bandcamp. Okay. People can purchase the album, um, but I, it is also available for purchase on iTunes and for streaming on uh, Spotify. And right. that's Holy Hannah with an exclamation point after it. Exactly. But you make the most from Bandcamp, right? Yes. So that's that where correct. we really want them to go. Just well, just between yes. all of us, go to Bandcamp. In, in this day and age. Look, man, when I talk about supporting local restaurants, it's not just local restaurants. It's it's pet groomers. It's nail salons. It's hair salons. It's all these mom-and-pop businesses, which includes local musicians who, yes. again, margins aren't that high, okay? And so people need you to buy their music. If you still have the means, if you are not unemployed, this is the time where you double down on the things that matter to you, be it... You know, burritos mole or enchiladas mole, which I had the other night from a local Mexican restaurant, or whether it's supporting Holy Hannah, which again, Hannah with an H at the end and the exclamation point at Bandcamp, but there are other avenues to market right there. Um, we got to call it, but before we do, I want to say thank you, Sean, and uh, good luck with things at Edina Realty. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. Uh, and please stay healthy and wear your mask and wash your hands between now and Thursday when we're going to be talking to Chris Riemenschneider from Star Tribune about the changing landscape of live music, which live music is still happening. There's just no one doing it together. Um, Hannah, <laughs> I, uh, I hope that things in Mexico are very good for you. And, you know, I know that I know that there's going to be people who are bitter, like, oh, quarantined in Mexico. But there's also, I'm sure that uncertainty lives with you down there, just like it does here. It's just that you get to put your toes in white sand. Yes. The uncertainty <laughs> is inescapable. That is for certain. Well, and nobody nobody was ever promised tomorrow in any situation, so now it's just more challenging. Before we get to your last song, I know that you worked with Jeremy Ibelsacker on this particular song, who is a wonderful human being, who has worked with just about everybody. Tell me about this particular song before we say goodbye and encourage people to buy your self-titled release. Yeah, so Kiss Method is definitely an anthem. It's the it's the um, first 
track off of the album, and it's definitely just an um, an ode to stripping away all the bullshit. Can I say that? Yes. And, yes. Um, <laughs> oh, in our first segment, I dropped several f bombs. No, this that, okay, that's great. one of the wonderful okay. things about not being on the radio anymore. If you, and in fact, if you feel like getting it off your chest, if you feel like it might make you feel better, you can let anything rip you want. Oh, that's so great. I love that. Um, so, okay. So definitely um, about stripping away the bullshit and really um, getting down to that like the ooey-gooey center of our own personal truth and and embracing and owning that in, in every moment of our life as best that we can. And when I we first recorded this as the trio, it all the whole record is all live to, to tape. Um, and then we went in with overdubs, but with this song in particular, we got done with it. And I'm like, man, it just really needs some really just like awesome, like super reverby guitar, lead guitar on top of what I had already done. Um, I, you know, and on my electric and I was like, I got to bring in Jeremy. And so he came in and I think in, uh, four, he did four passes and we're like, nope, we got it. We're good to go. And, yeah. and, and I really am pleased with how this turns out. So for any like classic rock fans, this is definitely the, the tune for you. Absolutely it is. And you know, I think a lot of people who are not familiar with the studio process or who are not familiar with the quality of audio, the fact that you insisted on doing live to analog on this is, to me, not at all pretentious, but to me, a commitment to a sound and a style. And I think that you absolutely fucking nailed it. That's right, an F-bomb right there on this particular debut. Last thing, Hannah, and I have to let you go, and we're going to get into this song. When this bullshit all passes, whether it's in five months, whether it's in two years from now, promise me you come in to the Smart Start MN studio and hang out here in South Minneapolis and do this live and in person. Oh, please. It would be my honor. Absolutely. Well, good luck in Mexico. Uh, good luck finding your Zen Center. And good luck enjoying <laughs> that sweet, salty ocean. Although it is a little more violent on the Pacific side. So just be careful you don't get washed up on the rocks. And um, <laughs> Hannah, thank you. Thank you very, very much. Let's go ahead and hear Kiss Method as we wrap up episode 55 of The Brian Oak Show. Mm-hmm. 